and prayer. Creator of all things, creator of this beautiful earth and of us, your people. May your word this morning be a light to our path. Help us to experience, even in this present moment, your presence with us, your abundant provision. We ask this through Christ. Amen. There's nothing like a song to express the most ecstatic and the most agonized of human emotions. And certainly we have both of these in these psalms today. Many of you will remember Claudia Smucker reminding us just a few weeks ago of our Creator's abundant and unending resources for the repair of the world and our responsibility to join God's work bringing justice. And then the following week, Maria Waterfield reflected on the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, and she noted that God is both ruler of all and Lord of my heart. And so as I read these psalms, both of which were given as options for the lectionary this week, it seemed that the Spirit was weaving these threads together, the abundance and wideness of God's care for all of the world and the intimate and tender care of God for each of us as beloved children whom God knows and calls by our name. Psalm 65, unlike some psalms that might focus more on the speaker's need for God, Psalm 65 is really focused on God and God's actions. The very first verses, you can't quite tell in English as clearly as in Hebrew, but it's to you, to you. To you, vows will be performed. To you, praise is due. And why? You answer prayer. You forgive. You choose and bring near. You answer us with deliverance. You visit the earth and water it. You crown the year with your bounty. This could have been a song the people of Israel sang as they made their way from all parts of the country up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to worship. And it might have been used for a number of different harvest festivals. But some say that it fits particularly well with the Festival of Booths, which was a time to give thanks for grain and wine, and also was a time to commemorate God's deliverance of the people in the Exodus, bringing them out of Egypt and providing for them food as they lived in tents in the wilderness. It was a time of great rejoicing, celebrating the gift of rain and harvest, and it included everyone, foreigners and Israelites alike. And certainly this psalm includes everyone and everything. All people and the earth itself. And gives vivid images showing why God is the hope of all the ends of the earth. And you notice that it moves fairly quickly from references to Israel's worship in the temple to God's awesome deeds of deliverance, which is traditional language for the Exodus, and then to all people everywhere and the abundant provision of God bringing food from the land itself. 
We see God's power as creator to stabilize chaos, which is often symbolized by the sea, celebrated in verses uh, 7 and 8. You silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Israel often looked to the sea as this chaotic thing that was dangerous, and perhaps the people around them were also feared. And God is bringing stability and order. And there's praise for the gift of water. Several verses taken up with just water and rain. And these beautiful pictures of ridges settling and the earth softened with rain. And then even the uncultivated wilderness pastures are overflowing with wildflowers. Meadows clothing themselves with flocks. No wonder both the morning and the evening themselves seem to shout for joy. God's faithfulness is broad and pervasive. God keeps faith with the earth itself, with all creatures and with all people. And God's commitment to the flourishing of everything brings joy. And we have inherited the goodness of God's joyful and persistent provision for, in, and through creation. And through many generations, we've received a harvest. Not only of food, but a harvest of God's faithfulness to all God has made. This harvest is the experience, the lived experience, that God is trustworthy. That God stays with us. And that trustworthiness empowers us to be trustworthy. To stick with God and with each other. Now this is not to deny the reality of suffering and great injustice present in our world. What about when deadly famine strikes? What about the cruel and violent acts of human beings toward each other? And so in the portion of Psalm 119 we heard today, the one who is praying acknowledges very openly that he is walking a dark path and depends on the light of God. He's acknowledging the pain that he's in, that he fears that his life is slipping away, that the wicked have set traps for him. As Sheldon noted, the Psalms don't shrink away from the reality of darkness and the assurance of God's presence in it. You'll remember that Linda Espenshade made a recent trip to Nigeria, and she shared a little bit about it. During that trip, she met and interviewed Kola Adamo, a Christian woman in Chibok, which is a town in northeast Nigeria, where her daughter was abducted in 2014, along with, as you know, 218 other girls by the militant group Boko Haram a group whose intense violence continues to terrorize Church of the Brethren members, other Church of the Brethren members in that region. Kola's daughter, Naomi, is among 80 girls recently released by this group in exchange for prisoners. 
Now here is a sister whose suffering is unimaginable for most of us. And how she could ever let go of the anger, pain, desire for retaliation that any parent would feel in the face of such things might be the only thing more unimaginable. How, how could she possibly heal from this? What does forgiveness mean, or how can it happen authentically in such a horrendous situation? Cola told Linda that after two years of intense grief, anger, loss of energy for her daily work, and even at times losing the will to live, Cola attended a trauma healing workshop that was led by her pastor. This is a person whom she trusts. She had been to three other similar workshops sponsored by the government, but didn't connect at all with these. In this one, she was able to hear others' stories of their experiences of trauma and share some from her own life. And in the midst of that, she did choose to move toward letting go, toward forgiveness. This is baffling, I imagine, to many of us how this is possible, but there's an ancient belief in Judaism that only God can forgive sin. And it rings true that God is the only one with a wide enough mercy to hold and to reckon with our sins against one another. The only one with the ability to unbind our heaviest burdens to set us free, and perhaps the only one who can forget. Cola did say, I forgive. She also said to Linda, I left everything to God. If not God, no one could do it. Linda wrote of her physical expression when she said this. I forgive them, she said simply, with a lilt in her voice that matches the movement of her hands from her heart to air, as if setting a bird free. She makes it sound like forgiving was as simple as it was inevitable. Now, I don't think that this inevitable forgiveness that she was expressing was easy, and it certainly wasn't quick. After all, it was two years before she had any ability to even speak those words. And certainly her pain and her daughter's pain is not neatly tied up and finished. But there seems to have been an inward movement that is trusting God's healing power to bind up the brokenhearted. In the last verse we heard from Psalm 119, you might turn there, Verse 112 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, I incline my heart. The Hebrew verb there can mean to bend toward, to bow, to extend. It's the same word that is used for spreading out or stretching a tent. And so this could read, 
I'm bowing my heart toward what you have allotted for me to do. I stretch my heart. I extend my heart to do the task you have assigned for me forever to the end. Now this kind of bending and stretching can only come out of a deep relationship. A relationship of trust. If the poet were not aware of the creator's capacity to light the path, how could she make such bold statements of loyalty? If the speaker did not have a pretty robust confidence in God's ways with humankind, if she didn't trust God's ability to bring healing out of painful struggle, where would such commitment to keep God's commands come from? If God had not first demonstrated loyalty and solidarity with us and with all of creation, where would our faithfulness come from? Because by God's creative provision, the hills deck themselves with grain. Because of God's awesome deeds, delivering an enslaved people and bringing them out from the swirling chaos of the sea into freedom, because of God's redeeming and reconciling work through generation upon generation, because God empowers Nigerian mothers and daughters to heal from trauma and be released from bitterness, because God cares for our needs and has compassion on us in our weakness, we are able then to say back to God, I am sticking with you. You light my path You have shown yourself faithful, and I expect you to keep showing up. Your abundance has proven trustworthy. You bring joy to all creatures, even to the hills and meadows. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth. When we fear our life is slipping away, when we are gravely sinned against, when our own sins are too much for us to bear, when the sins of our nation overwhelm us, you are here. You are saying no to fear and destruction. You are with us and for us. You are caring for all you have made. You are working to heal the earth. You are inviting us to join all of this. Happy are those who accept the invitation. Now, I certainly have no understanding of what Cola went through. She must have had some reason for trusting God's ability to deal with the horror she had lived and to deal with the people who traumatized her entire family and village. She has harvested, or someone has harvested for her, God's faithfulness, God's solidarity with her. And like Cola, we, following her example perhaps, are in it for the long haul with God because God is in it for the long haul with all of creation and with us. It's true that God is always present with us, but this has to be communicated somehow. Just like the harvest is there growing in the fields, but it needs hands 
to, well, drive the combine and take the grain out of the field to be used for food. And Psalm 65 clearly sees God's good provision and God's faithfulness crossing national boundaries, even religious boundaries, and we could say crossing boundaries even between species. When Jesus went to people who were feeling painfully distant from the abundant provision of God, he was harvesting this provision for their well-being and bringing it near to them. Through his own hands of healing, through his voice, his eyes of compassion for people who were given the impression that God's abundance was not for them, Jesus made it very clear that God is actively keeping faith with everyone, with all of creation. And so we too are called and commissioned by Christ to communicate with our voices, our hands, our eyes that God's faithfulness is here, present, abundant, far beyond our meager resources, our mercy, our limited energy and creativity, to make clear to people, everyone we encounter, that God is for them and with them. People in this room have done that for you. And you have done it. Or if you haven't, you will soon find opportunity to do so. How will we continue to harvest God's abundant faithfulness for each other, for our neighbors, when it's most desperately needed and when it feels out of reach? How are you being called to trust more deeply this God of loyal love whose persistent action is always on behalf of the wholeness and well-being of each one? and all the ends of the earth.